Good morning. In my place of employment, uh, it is my job um, to figure out where kids are at, especially what we call in my field on the spectrum. I work with many autistic kids, and there are different levels of where they belong on that spectrum. In fact, many would say we're all on the spectrum. Um, but my job is to figure out um, basically expectations. What can my students do? How far can I push them? How independent can they be? And that'll be different for every single one of them. But my job is to sit there and communicate with parents and even with the students themselves saying, hey, maybe you're not ever going to be able to work 40 hours a week, but you can do 20 and let's get you there. Um, you can live on your own with assistance um, if you, you know, follow my directions. There is a line there where, you know, some autistic children are nonverbal um, and, and their expectation is going to be different than what we call high functioning autistic kids who might be able to do fine and be independent on their own. And so why am I saying all this? I have two chapters to cover. I'm not going to cover it all for sure. But I have been uh, just thoroughly blessed again to look at Abraham. And again, the way God kind of starts the beginning here with giving us just a look at the life of the father of Israel and seeing where his spiritual walk is. And so in these two chapters, I want to have a spectrum, so to speak, of how do you get to spiritual maturity and what does it look like when you are just completely godless? And where are we in that? Hopefully we are not a godless people. <laughs> okay. Um, but sadly, as in many times in Scripture, you will be able to relate to the godless people in your own life when we read the stories. And then we have Abraham, who is doing some really great things along this faith journey. So remember, we are watching him mature as week by week here at Brantford Bible Chapel goes. There's things coming in his life. We're watching his mistakes, his victories, and you're going to see his faith mature. And so we're going to point out some of those things that hopefully we can line up our own spiritual walks. And at the end of the day, at least say, hey, where are you at in your spiritual maturity and how can we get you to mature? I am not going to read all two chapters. We're going to go a little uh, different. I'll start off with this verse. I think I mentioned it last time I spoke in James chapter 2. In verse 22, it says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that uh, we are part of your family that you would love us with a love that we cannot fathom or grasp. Thank you so much for the stories of the saints of old. Thank you that one day, uh, after hopefully uh, hanging out uh, in heaven uh, with you, that maybe we might even hang out with some others like Abraham one day. And we can hear his story of how uh, his relationship with you was. And uh, Lord, we want to just be encouraged by those who have gone before us that we uh, would mature in the faith, that we would adhere to the very special calling and expectation you have in our own individual lives and not worry about others, but just 
really have a conversation with you to say, what is it that you would have me to do and to have a sincere talk with you in our own spiritual maturity or this faith journey and where we're at in it. So help us this day, Lord. Uh, help us to see exactly what you would have us to hear. Be honored and glorified above all in your name. Amen. In chapter 18, we're starting, we already heard in the breaking of bread today, uh, the Lord and two others are going to meet uh, with Abraham. And so he basically invites um, these three men over uh, for a nice dinner. They have a huge dinner. They tell them again, Sarah's going to have a baby. She laughs. <laughs> um, and then from there, they're going out to Sodom. And you'll see there if you read, I forgot exactly where the verse that God himself says um, in verse 20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. And so I'm just, I'm going to review these couple chapters. So Abraham goes out, the two men now go to Sodom, the two angels, okay, Abraham stays with the Lord and has an amazing conversation, one that hopefully you know of, where Abraham pleads on behalf of Sodom and basically says, Lord, would you destroy this city if 50 people are righteous? Uh, it's, it's not fair that the righteous get punished along with the wicked, and they go through this whole thing. Well, maybe not 50. Let, that's probably not real. What about 40? What about, and he goes all the way down to 10, and he goes, Lord, would you do it for 10 people, not destroy the city? which I never really understood again, which is interesting that there's not 10. That's why the city is destroyed. Because the Lord says, for 10 people, I will not destroy that city. So that, again, we are talking about, we did this with the flood and with um, the Tower of Babel. There is some large groups of people with a lot of wickedness going on. You can't find 10 righteous people in a city this big. Okay, and so there's an intimate conversation with Abram there. Then we have Sodom and Gomorrah, where the two angels come. And Lot is basically like, hey, why don't you spend the night at our house? They said, no, we'll stay out in the city square. And Lot right away says, no, 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 bad idea. And as they are in there, all of the men are grappling at the door saying, we basically want to come and know these men intimately. We want to have sex with these two strangers. That's the wickedness of the time. Okay. One of the, the amazing things about that that I hope we don't um, lose just to see the scariness of our sin is in God's mercy. They're about to break down Lot's door so they can go have their way with Lot and these two other guys. The angels blind them all, and it says they become weary of trying to find the door. In other words, a mob, a scary mob whose whole intent was to rape and maybe kill are blinded, and it does not stop them. It does not stop them until they get tired of trying to find the door so they can fulfill their lusts, okay? That's a godless group of people. So God destroys Sodom by his mercy. He lets Lot and his wife out. They travel after this whole place is destroyed. Um, another horrible story at the end of 19 is Lot's daughters showing, again, their selfishness and wickedness, um, get their father drunk to where he doesn't know what he's doing. They have sex with him so they can have babies, and they can then 
um, have their children, which turn into, um, and you can read this um, in verses 37 and 38 of the end of 19, the Moabites and the Ammonites, not the best of people. All right. So I'm going to kind of go backwards from 19 to 18. I'm going to look at a few characters and see where they're at on this spectrum that I have made up in my own mind today of spiritual maturity. Okay, And we're going to start with those in Sodom. Um, godless, no maturity whatsoever. They do not know God. Hopefully you are not in this part or you're not identifying with these guys. Although, again, we are sinners saved by grace. So the scary part is, is sometimes, you know, we can see ourselves in with these people. All right. What was the big problem with Sodom and Gomorrah? Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Ezekiel chapter 16, and we will look at verse 49. Okay. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and the abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. I want to give you the answer, so to speak, of how you know where you fit on the spectrum. One of the ways you realize whether you are spiritually mature or not is how you treat people, especially when it comes to hospitality. Are you able to invest in people and give of yourself? Because of the opposite of that, is selfishness. We're going to see hospitality and lack thereof in these two chapters. Abraham and Sarah, very hospitable to their guests. Sodom and Gomorrah, two guests come into the city. They want to go rape and kill them. Two different ends of the spectrum. One completely being selfish and one trying to serve. Spiritual maturity. As we grow in God's grace and mature, we have to become those who serve people and put their needs before our own and think of others before our own, because that's what Philippians 2 says, as the mind of Christ, so we should have the same mind, and that's what he did for us. So that's, that's what I want you to think about as we go through these different characters. Okay? Some would actually say, sidebar here, some would say, listen, the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was not sexual immorality. It's okay to be gay. It was the lack of hospitality. And they might even use these verses. Well, the problem with that, just for a little hermeneutics here, is in Jude, verse 7, it also says that their problem was they indulge in sexual immorality. And so are these two things even related? This idea of being selfish and not caring about your fellow man, as we read here in Ezekiel, it says they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Their first thought when two guests come was, what can they do for me and my desires and fulfilling me? That's where they're at. Godless. 
okay, had no thought of helping the poor and the needy. And how can we make these pilgrim sojourners comfortable as they stay the night in our city? Okay? These people of Sodom had pride, overabundance, and a bundle of idleness. Let's just stop and think about that. A lot of pride. They had a fullness of food, an overabundance of food. Why, why does that matter? And an abundance of idleness. Things were so good, maybe they didn't have to go to work that much. A little scary when we talk about America, right? little scary. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, homosexuality and, and how I see these things related. Okay. At the crux of homosexuality is complete selfishness. Here's what I mean. Biblically speaking, sex is a picture of oneness between a couple, and that is a picture of our oneness with God. This is what Jesus said in John 17, that they might be one. In John 17, 23, it says, I and them and you and me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as I have loved, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory which you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The idea of sex and marriage, I want to, again, I have said this from the bowl before, but you have to figure out why homosexuality, and by the way, transgender, all these things are unbiblical, instead of just going, that's gross. Okay? It's not gross to the people doing it. They enjoy it. If they didn't enjoy it, they wouldn't be doing it. Okay? But the idea of oneness, a man and a woman coming together, they're one, because here's the deal, as it says in 1 Corinthians, a man needs a woman, a woman needs a man. It's two different perspectives that we both need. And you get the beauty of coming together. It's something that feels good in the marriage relationship. And there's a oneness there. And the homosexual saying, listen, I don't need the other perspective. I don't need the other gender. I am completely fine where I'm at. That is why it's such an abomination, guys. And that is why even in this story, all they're thinking about are themselves. And if you listen closely to the gay community, it is always about them. To the point where even the non-Christians are going, great, do whatever you want. I hear this all the time. I don't care if you're gay, I don't care. But don't make me have to come on board with you. And it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Not only do they want to be accepted, but you also have to line up with my selfish views. So that, guys, this is the truth. Great, you want to go identify as a man, female, dog? Great, what does it have to do with me? It's not good enough. You have to now call me what I've decided to be called. That is a completely selfish way to be. I don't get to sit there and choose my name. My father and mother did that. Now again, I could change my name growing up later, but it's kind of weird. It's not me. That was given to me. That's how my life is. Hence, society calls me James Clifford. And yet this is very um, prevalent in this community. And again, don't, don't think of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm going to cure you with this. And so many times we think of Sodom and Gomorrah as just like the homosexual city and God destroyed. It, it goes a lot past sex, guys. It goes a lot past sex. Has the idea of these three things here, pride, overabundance, 
um, of food, abundance of idleness. Okay? So, let's talk about pride. In verse 9, when these guys are coming in, um, when the, the crowd is at uh, Lot's door, Lot says, guys, please don't do this. And again, a lot of paraphrasing today. In verse 9, it says, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Not spiritually mature. Two guests come. They want to have sex with them. Lot goes, guys, don't do this. And their first instinct and their pride goes, who in the world do you think you are being judge over us? You're a foreigner. You're a foreigner. I don't know what culture, and again, I don't know. Maybe there is cultures where it happens, but it's pretty much um, raping a guest is pretty much bad in every culture. It really is. Um, it's not like Lot is suddenly sitting here being a, a, a holy roller going, hey, guys, by the way, everyone knows that's not what you do. Okay? And their first prideful instinct to say, who in the world made you judge? In other words, I judge myself. And if I want it, I get it. That's their attitude. Okay? Then it goes into overfilled with food. I want to, this is, this is uh, scary in the idea of our own flesh and our own desires. Okay? It's when you take for granted those things that are blessings and then your eyes are no longer satisfied. And now a good steak isn't even enough. Okay, so think about this in these times. There was times where people did not have a lot of food. Okay? And so that there might be a time where, my goodness, there's a lot of food around. We don't have to worry about starving. And not only do we have enough food, we might have enough food where it's pleasurable. And at some point down the road, when you eat tons of nice food, guess what? Just not as special anymore, is it? Do you see this in your own life? Man, again, in my early 20s, a, a filet mignon, I, I only had like one my whole life. thought it was the best thing in the world. You know what I mean? I thought, man, I, I do this. This is amazing. Once you have a few more, it's great. But it's not like it used to be. <laughs> and I think this is sexuality to a T. Okay? But now the physical pleasure of food is no longer a thing. And now we're sitting around going, well, well food doesn't really do it for me anymore. Wine doesn't really do it for me anymore. I, what else is out there? Sex feels good. And even sex kind of got normal. So why don't we try different things? That is the idea of their sin, of being overfilled with food, is that physical pleasure is great at times when it's controlled. But if we let it get out of hand, it never satisfies. And we just need to keep finding out what else can fill me in my own desires and flesh. What else can happen? It basically gets bored. Why do, it gets boring. How do I know that? I, I want you to stop and think what happens in the story that two strangers come in and a mob equal across the board. They all have a desire to have sex with these two. Why? Because they're new. That's it. They've never seen these guys before. Not a, it might be a new experience. Something we haven't done yet. Which also means they're not satisfied in their perversion yet. Does everyone get that? 
They have probably done things unspeakable that some of us actually think about in our minds anyway, by the way. And they're not satisfied. So two new people come, game on, game on. They also have this abundance of idleness. There is nothing to do in the city that night. I, I, I want us to think, like, it's just such an easy story to read and kind of gloss over. They are just simply, simply sitting around and here come strangers and guess what? Let's go get the strangers. That, that's, that, there's nothing else to do except go pursue these guys. Nothing else. An abundance of idleness. They are not hospitable at all to new strangers. They do not welcome them and think of their needs first. These two people come, and it is simply, what did they do for me? Do we see people like that? What can they do for me? Christ came to serve. Maybe people let you down so much because you only care what they can do for you, and they're not beneficial to you. Hence, you can get rid of them when you need them, when you don't need them. Hence, you find yourself not being around people a lot unless they can do something for you. That's called pride. I'll invite you over my house. I'll do life with you when you're pleasing me. And if you're not, or if I get bored with you because you're just not as fun as I, you used to be because we got old, I'm going to get rid of you. Be very careful we don't line up with that. The idea of being overfilled with food instead of pouring into others, you pour into your own wants and pleasures. And again, I just from this story and from so many Bible stories, if you pursue the path of physical pleasure, you will not be satisfied. And we all have our own stories. You go down the path of, I just want physical pleasure, you will not be satisfied. And the evidence is, is everywhere. It's on the news all the time. Finally, how idle are we? Again, it's a simple thing of how much time do we spend on our phone. Don't we have work to do? What is the expectation? I want to tell you again, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, blow it up, but I, I will tell you in the field of education right now, they're dealing with this. We had two years where kids sat at home and did nothing, and it's wreaking havoc. They have no idea. what to do with youth right now in our country. Because for two years, we let them sit around and do nothing. Then we let them get online and just feed their own selfishness. Two years, and now they, they don't know what to do. What is our expectation? How much is too much? Should we be working 15 hours a day? I don't know these lines, guys. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. I still remember. I might have shared this story before. One of my first jobs ever. I was working at an after-school daycare uh, school program in Groton. 
uh, where there was um, Pfizer right there, a family from China. Pfizer hired them, and this little girl was in my after-school um, program, so to speak. The girl was maybe nine years old, one of the happiest, go-lucky girls you've ever seen, laughing hysterically all day. And yet, she'd go to school. I think she was in fourth or fifth grade. After school, she'd do an hour of Mandarin because that's what mom and dad wanted her to do. And then she would do her homework. And then she'd go home and practice the piano for an hour every single day. And then she told us, with a smile, I get one hour of freedom a day. One. Does anyone think that there was a problem with that girl? Or, right now, she's probably the CEO of somewhere. And yet we sit there with a lot of time on our hands. Guys, if you want something to do, go hang out with someone. We're not even asking you to do physical labor. Go hang out. Ooh, a little plug for Tuesday night. What do you possibly have to do Tuesday night that is more important than hanging out with brothers and sisters? If you've got a good reason, then hey, don't come. But if you're going to sit at home and do nothing, you better watch out. All right. Let's look a little bit at some of these other characters. So that was the godless part. Hopefully now we're going to go into the encouraging ones, okay? Somewhere along the line. I want to look at Sarah real quick. Okay, very interesting part here. When the angel... Oh, actually, I think it's the Lord in um, chapter 18. Uh, let's read in chapter 18, verse 14. We'll start in verse 13. Basically, what happens, remember again, is that God tells Abram, your wife's going to get pregnant. She's at the tent, kind of like the opening. They don't really see her, okay? And she laughs, okay, within herself. In other words, it's not audible. It's not like they hear, <laughs> and they turn around. Okay, it's, they don't hear anything. And uh, in verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, this is the Lord speaking in human form to Sarah. No, but you did laugh. Okay. Part of growing spiritually and being a people's person and putting others first, but being spiritually mature is admitting when you're wrong. Okay? It's like the Lord wanted to be like, hey, Sarah, as you're growing. And again, Sarah is a woman of faith. You read about that in Hebrews. She's quietly doing this. No one knows. You, you, you can't prove that. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So again, it's dealing with people where they're at and being honest with where you're at. Remember, there was a time where Sarah sat there and she blamed someone else, Abram. It was her idea. She's the one that said, hey, go into Hagar. And as soon as she gets pregnant, she goes, I put this on you, Abram. I put it on you. And that's what we do. It's a big blame game. Okay? Instead of admitting, maybe the problem's with us. Okay, so I want to again encourage us as things are wrong in your life or you have problems, you have frustrations, are you still blaming the other people in the room? 
Why don't you just admit it's your fault? That's what we're supposed to do as believers. Go, you know what? I put myself in this mess. And sure, maybe you didn't even help, but I own this. That's part of spiritually maturing. Lot and his wife. My goodness. These are ones that knew the Lord, but they wanted the world so bad, even though they knew it was wrong. Scary verse here, again, in Genesis chapter 19, in verse 16. The angels come, they've had a scary night. They, again, they know the wickedness of this city by living there. They just had a bunch, a huge mob come and try to knock down the door that was struck with blindness. So they now know, oh, again, these are angels. Um, they're from the Lord. This is this whole big scene. The angels are saying, hey, judgment's coming. Let's get out. Verse 16. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. I want to let you know that Lot lingered. He lingered. He knew destruction's coming. These guys tried to break down his door and kill him, maybe rape him, and he still doesn't want to leave the city. To the point where the angels got to drag him out. Guys, I hope we're not on that spectrum. I hope we're not at the point where we love the world so much that we know the truth, we know it's wicked, we know it's going to destroy our lives, but we are not going anywhere because we love it so much. The famous story of Lot's wife turning around. She's got to see what's happening to the city she loves. Turns into a pillar of salt. By God's mercy, they basically drag them out of the city. They drag them out. They love that city so much. To the point where Lot goes, please, don't put me in the mountains. Put me in a city again. Put me in a city again. Because that's where I feel comfortable. I hope we're not there, guys. Too many Christians nowadays want to stay in the world. They want to linger. Don't linger around. Run away from the world and all its evil pleasures. Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Let's look at who did it right. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'll read it quickly. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terrible trees of Maria as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Why do I say Abraham's all the way in the spiritual maturity part? He's putting people first. Here come these three guests, and he is very hospitable. 
So again, we'll go back and forth a little bit with just the idea of putting people first and being practically hospitable. Quickly, I'm going to say what he did it, how he did it. He's fast. Says he made haste a couple times. Here come three guests, and it's not like, oh, do you need something? My wife's probably coming back from the store in a little bit. Right away, he's like, hurry, 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 hurry it up. Go make some cakes. Let's go get the young calf. Let's do this up. And he is serving them. He is humble. This is the opposite, the pride of Sodom. He is humble. He bows down when they come. Hey, guys, what do you need? What do you need? He gives them that which will cost him, a young calf. Again, in the agricultural wor- world, a young calf has a lot of potential. So it was a, a, you know, there's a lot there. You're, you're cutting it early. You're killing it early. Very quickly, not even a thought. Give him the, give him the calf. Now, you can sit there and say, Abraham's rich. I don't care. You have a million dollars in a bank. You want to give someone $5,000? It still hurts a little. Right away, give it to him, give it to him, give it to him. He does not eat with them. He stands there. This was the convicting part for me. I'll have you over for dinner, but I ain't waiting. I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to eat with you. But he... (laughs) He doesn't eat with them. He stands there. It is one thing to be hospitable when it's planned. Another to have to do it last minute. I want you to think about the little marriage dynamics of this one, too. Hey, Sarah, people are here. Get to work. Sorry, what? I need three cakes right now. Right now. We got to serve these people. We got to have them over dinner. That is a hospitable house. This is not abnormal. It can't be. There's no marriage that does this. Oh, by the way, we're just going to throw a quick, nice meal. This is what, this is normal for Abraham and Sarah. They are hospitable people. Okay? Again, we talk about being hospitable here at Bramford Bible Chapel a lot, and we plan something out. Let's have, what's a good day for me? Friday, I'm giving myself five days to go grocery shopping, a day or two to cook, I'll make sure the house is clean Thursday, and then you can come over. That is totally different than being hospitable when someone pops in. We just had it happen again. Um, New York City, you know, I know a lot of those people down from Evergreen, um, they were going to a youth thing up in Massachusetts, my buddy Jose. I think they were there that Sunday. I think they came here on a Sunday. Gives me a call. Hey, man, what you doing? And I know already, Jose, what are you doing? I got a van full of kids. I don't know. I want to pop in the house. I said, sure. Now, listen, that's because my wife has been doing this for years. I would not have been able to do that to her first year of marriage. You know what I mean? But to have 14 teenagers pop over, and now we say, what do you need? Do, you need, do we need to order pizzas? Guys, I, that's a lot of money, at least for me. Okay? Um, do we have any cookies we can make? Do we have to, you know what I mean? We want to entertain 14 kids that we had no idea were coming. That's hospitality. That that is when we talk about being on the spectrum. It's a blessing if you want to have people over and plan. Try to do it when people pop over. Try to have that kind of open house for people you might not even like. You know how hard it is to invite the people that I don't really like? Maybe the neighbors in my neighborhood? I don't really like you. Please come over for dinner. I tell them right away they're not getting my good food. Again, 
You know what I mean? This is just honesty, guys. I'm sorry. And then Kim probably said, no, give him the good food. Okay? Putting others first is a huge spiritual maturity sign. And as we have watched Abraham grow through this process, this is what he's doing. Not only is he hospitable, he cares about the welfare of people. This is why he talks to the Lord and says, hey, it's kind of like a, a cool, intimate scene. It says he draws near, which is another sign of maturity. These two angels leave. It's just Abraham and God in human form. And what's on his mind? What's all the things he could talk about, guys? He could talk about like, so uh, exactly how does this pregnancy work? When's my wife going to get uh, have a like? There is so many things he talk about. And the first thing he wants to say, he draws near and goes, would you hurt the righteous with the wicked? Abram has every right to say, hey, Lot, you chose this. I could care less. You chose to go there. I gave you choice. Sodom, he, he sees the wickedness of, the, of those people. And he's concerned about the welfare of the righteous. And then he's concerned about God's character. Hey, God, this, this makes you look bad. You, you, you're, you're the just one. You do not want to sacrifice righteous with the wicked. It will make you look bad. I don't want you looking bad. It is completely opposite of pride. It's Abraham caring about others, using all of his resources for others, and then obviously mostly caring about God how did this make you look? Guys, I, I, I know there's people in this fellowship that are going through uh, just some spiritual battles. But I have to tell you, if you're constantly thinking about yourself in these battles, you're not going to win. At some point, by God's grace, you got to cry out and say, God, what do you think? I want you to look good. And again, as we've said over and over, you got problems. Why don't you invest in other people and get your mind off yourself? Because sitting around being idle with nothing to do but worry about your own problems goes down a very bad path. How in the world did a whole city get to the point where two visitors come and they want to go have sex? It started with pride, having too much, and just sitting around with nothing to do. That's where it started. So let us not be like that in our faith journey. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for even in Sodom and Gomorrah, like I said, to be merciful that Lot was saved and his wife. Lord, even the idea of... Uh, them just taking them out quickly by the hand. Lord, uh, help us to uh, not worry about ourselves so much and invest in others um, and trust you in that process. Thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.